Welcome to the MMA Roadshow, episode number 188. My name is John Morgan. Cold Coffee is not with me. He's actually the one on the road. Cold Coffee is up in New York right now for UFC 230, Cormier versus Lewis. And we will check in with him in just a bit and find out what's been going on up there in the Empire City. He's up there with the young Mike Bond. They're handling duties this week. Myself, I am back home in Las Vegas, coming to you from my office. So not the sexiest location of all times, but hey. We're working. We're a little short this week on the MMA Junkie crew, man. We got uh, Matt Erickson and Stephen Morocco both on vacation this week. They both had plans that they made like six months in advance. And when you know it, it ended up being a UFC pay-per-view weekend. So the, the MMA Junkie crew is running a little tight this week, but we're still bringing you everything you need from on the ground in New York. As far as the MMA Roadshow is concerned, though, only our man Cole Coffee did make the trip. So splitting up the dynamic duo this week, but that's how it goes. Uh, it's been a busy one here. Uh, certainly, USC 230 is uh, is a good-looking card that I'm starting to enjoy uh, or get excited for, I guess I should say, a little bit more and more each and every day as we get a little bit closer. You know, this was that card that just wouldn't come together, and, and they had so many problems getting a main event for it. Not for lack of trying. The USC went with a lot of different options here. Ended up with Daniel Cormier versus Derek Lewis. The, uh, the fight that none of us saw coming, but I tell you what, man, I... Uh, as, as we get closer, first of all, give give Daniel Cormier uh, an A-plus for his salesmanship of the job. I mean, he has been doing a phenomenal job in, you know, making this fight seem more logical than maybe it did. I mean, in some ways, I think most people feel that, that you know, Derek Lewis got this fight by being on the Habib Nurmagomedov-Conor McGregor card and, of course, having that epic knockout and making the my balls was hot comment, you know, which just upped his stock. I mean, it really did put him out there and, and there, there is there is something to, to do with that I mean there's something to make of that certainly you know the UFC was trying to strike while the iron was hot and this was the fight to make and yes uh, Derek Lewis's performance on the mic definitely helped raise his awareness and probably helped him get this shot but you know he is nine and one in his last 10 fights and I think that's you know uh, something that's kind of escaped people a little bit when you start breaking this fight down I mean to me of course the the, the wise money is on Daniel Cormier I mean if if He's the more well-rounded martial artist. There's no question about it. But as Derek doesn't mind saying, you know, everybody's the more well-rounded martial artist when you fight me. I'm, I'm not. I'm not the most skilled guy out there. Um, I just have heart and I have. I have power. You know, and, and I'm trying to knock knock you out at all times. So, um, but I will say credit to Daniel Cormier for the sales job that he's been doing in hyping up Derek Lewis. And honestly, it's something I think people should take note. I mean. I know everybody goes about fights different ways, and at the end of the day, you should stay true to yourself. But you know, when you're promoting a fight, it really doesn't do any good for you to tell everybody how bad somebody sucks. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if all you're doing is insulting your opponent and, and, and saying how bad they are, and uh, you know how much they suck and how much they don't even deserve to be on the same card with you, much less stand in the same cage, I mean, that that doesn't do you any good because then when you go out and beat them. It's just like, well, of course you did. You said that guy's a bum. Of course you beat him. But Daniel Cormier has gone about this the opposite way and said, listen, man, this is a dangerous guy. He's a dangerous guy, and he's somebody that I have a lot of respect for. And, you know, he's, he's pointed towards the, 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 
prison time that Cormier, or excuse me, that Lewis had to serve, and how he's kind of reinvented himself as a man, and, and how he admires him for that. Um, and I think that's admirable, man. I think not only does it make the the matchup seem more palatable, more tangible, does it make it seem more like it was supposed to always be this way, um, but it also you know does Daniel better if if he wins the fight. Meanwhile, DC, uh, you know, again, I, I think is the right pick, but Derek Lewis looks good now. I haven't seen him on the ground. I'm anxious to talk to Cole Coffee and kind of get his take of it. But you know, listen, you know at the road show, the Cole Coffee and I we're, we're we're big Derek Lewis homers, man. We've always loved the guy's personality, his, his fighting style, all those things. I mean, he's just a good dude, and and he's always been a favorite person of ours. Not that Daniel Cormier isn't, but um, we just always kind of had a special affinity for Derek Lewis, and happy to see him get in this position. But because we've seen him fight so often, because we spent so much time around him, I mean, he looks good to me this week, and whether that's you know, a product of, of, of coming right in off of another camp and not allowing himself to gain any weight or, or put any, uh, you know, get out of shape at all between fights. Maybe that's a big part of it. Um, you know, he's kind of said, too, the fact that there were some extra zeros in this paycheck sure, sure was a motivation for me as well. I started to see what champ life was about, you know, and even though he's always said that the titles really don't don't mean anything, I mean, the, the money that comes along with the title means a lot in terms of how he can support his family, so... By the way, did you guys see the countdown show? Uh, it, it, I know that probably a lot of the countdowns don't get watched anymore, and, and I'm I'm just as bad as anybody, honestly, about watching them. Sometimes it's just you know there's a fight every week. It's almost like there's not time to 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 watch them. Um, but to check out the countdown for this one, and it it was very cool. Number one, uh, they do have a scene where Derek Lewis goes back to the prison that he was in, which is um, you know pretty cool to hear him talk about that. I feel like he's talked about that a lot more this week than he has. Um, in previous outings, but they also show uh, him buying some toys for his family, and including a a nice little yacht and a uh, and a and a sports car as well. So Derek Lewis, man, he's he's uh, getting them toys, putting some money in the bank. So uh, it's it's a fun matchup. We'll talk to to Cole Coffee about that. But I am getting more and more excited about this fight card as it goes along. Um, there's some prelims that that I like. It, you know, it didn't come together the way the USC wanted it. Especially for a, a Madison Square Garden card. I mean, you know that they always want to bring their best to Madison Square Garden, but I do think it's still a, a very attractive card for a lot of reasons. So um, we'll talk about that in uh, in just a little bit with cold coffee. Now, you know, we mentioned the hype that Derek Lewis got for fighting on the Habib Nurmagomedov Conor McGregor card, and uh, boy, Habib Nurmagomedov, his name's just staying in the headlines um, this week. You know. I don't know if you've seen it by now, but it was alerted to me. Somebody, I think, sent it to me via direct message. There was a, a UFC underscore Turkey account. Now, it's spelled T-U-R-K-I-Y-E, which I'm guessing is probably um, the native spelling for Turkey in that language. But it's not an official UFC account. I think it's more just like a um, you know a fan account or um, I guess you'd say like a, a media member, a journalist or something. I'd Something along those lines. But anyway, it's not a USC account. But uh, they basically identified um, a video in which uh, Habib Nurmagomedov was doing a video over there uh, and said that he is not planning on attending the NSAC meeting on December 10th and that he doesn't feel obligated to do so. Uh He's already defended his honor. He's already done the right thing, and he doesn't feel he's guilty of anything, so he doesn't doesn't want to go. Uh, also said that 
you know, the UFC or excuse me, the NSAC can take all of his money and they can spend him for ten years and he doesn't care. He's not he's not going. Um so interesting. So, you know, not that I don't believe the translation because there is a, a version of the video that it, now it's it's dubbed over, uh, but then also there's a English subtitles as well. Now it is a little bit difficult to report on because you're basically trusting translations, um, and you know when it's something like this, to trust that and and believe it to be accurate is a little risky. I mean, if you don't have a knowledge of the language, there's no way for you to prove if it's right or wrong, and so it's a little dangerous for you to to go out there and just you know quote this as fact. That said. I don't have any reason to believe that anything is being made up here. You know, I've talked to some people behind the scenes. Um, I know a, a couple of people have, you know, run some stuff through Google Translate. And, and you know, people have chimed in basically on Twitter uh, and said, no, listen, man, this is this is legit. You know, this is really what he said. Um, I haven't had anybody that speaks the language, you know, say this, this translation is perfect because everybody's been saying, well, I ran it through Google Translate. And I did this. I did that. So... Again, you, you don't know the exact accuracy, but it seems like the sentiment is right. Um, that Habib is saying, to hell with you, I'm not going, I don't care, do whatever you want. So I did reach out to Ali Abdelaziz and his manager, of course, and just asked him, hey, what you know, what do you what, what do you make of this? I mean, here's here's the video. I mean, you tell me, what's what's your comment? You've talked to your client. Um, you know, and, and his answer to me one hundred percent, this is bullshit. Um, and then just to follow up, I said, so do you expect him to be in Vegas for the meeting? And Ali said, 100%, he will be there. So, uh, something to keep an eye on for sure, because if you'll remember from those hearings, uh, Anthony Marnell especially made it very clear that he expects both Habib and Connor to be there if they ever want to fight in the state of Nevada again. Now, other states could certainly still uh, allow him to fight there. I mean, they don't have to match any sort of suspension that's coming from, you know, from not being there in person. Um, but generally speaking, the UFC doesn't like to try to flaunt anything like that. It doesn't make sense as much business as the UFC does in the state of Nevada for them to take what the Nevada State Athletic Commission says and then go, well, you know what? Uh, California said they don't care, so we're going to go do it in California. Or, you know, we run our own shows in, in Russia and, and uh, you know, tell you what, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do our own thing over there. So, no, they, they typically don't do that. It's bad for business. So even if they could get around it, they probably won't. I tend to believe that Habib will be there on December 10th. I've got to think that people around him will talk more sense into him than that. Now, I'm going to assume that these translations are accurate. Um, at least the sentiment of them, and I can understand Habib's frustration. I, I get it, man. He's he's mad at what happened over there. You know, he's mad at how the whole thing went down. He doesn't think it's fair that he and Connor are being, uh, I guess, or, or even that you know, he, you know, he's being treated even more roughly than Connor. But listen, he was wrong. We said it from the very beginning. Habib messed up here, and and there was going to be a price to pay for it. So. Uh, I just hope that he's there on December 10th, um, because if he's not, I, I think his career would be potentially over. Now, I'm not saying it couldn't be worked out after that, but if he's not willing to come in and speak to the Nevada Commission, I don't think the Nevada Commission is going to allow him to fight. And if the Nevada Commission is not going to allow him to fight, I don't think the UFC is going to try to get around that by going somewhere else. So, 
he needs to be at this meeting on December 10th. I tend to think that the people around him um, will will talk some sense into him and say, listen, you know, you got to go do this. I mean, I don't think the UFC or the NSAC is is trying to, you know, make an example out of the guy. I, I do think that, you know, they, they don't want this to happen again. I don't think any of us want it to happen again. But I don't think they're going to try to be especially hard on him. I mean, they already gave back some of the money. That's a sign. That's a that's a step in the right direction, right? I mean, I don't think it shows you that that, that they're approving of it or that they're especially lenient about it, but I do think that it shows you that they're at least open to it. So I don't think they're going to try to nail Habib or, you know, give him some lifetime ban or whatever. So uh, hopefully uh, Ali Abdelaziz is right and Habib is planning on being there on December 10th. But you know we will have full coverage of it. I did actually get our flights adjusted today. That that morning, uh, myself and Cold Coffee were supposed to be flying to Honolulu, Hawaii to cover the back-to-back Bellator events out there. Uh, and then, of course, the commission meeting popped up, and that kind of changed everything. So uh, we're still going to go that night. We're, uh, we're going to leave later in the day. So that will be a busy day. Myself and Cold Coffee will certainly be covering that commission hearing live in Las Vegas, and then afterwards we will head to Hawaii. Hopefully get an upgrade on the plane. That'd be nice. Get a little. It's not even that long of a flight, really. I think from L.A. to Hawaii is like six hours, so it's not that bad at all. But you know, a couple frosty beverages as we're flying over the Pacific Ocean, heading to paradise, sure would be all right. <laughs> so glad I didn't get the Milwaukee card. <laughs> uh, shout out to Matt Erickson who will be handling the Milwaukee card. Uh, good card there, but it's not Honolulu in December, that's for sure. Uh, listen, I, uh, I did want to share one other little note, I guess, uh, something I saw today that I thought you guys would like that will probably fly under the radar. I'm going to end up putting something on the website about it tomorrow, but figured, Hey, I go ahead and share the, uh, the audio with you now. And it is Jose Shorty Torres, uh, former two division Titan SC champion, now UFC flyweight, um, basically, Weighing in on the future of the UFC flyweight division, I thought this was great. It's a, it's a uh, a YouTube video that he did. So if you if if you want to see the video version of it, please do. Uh, I, I like Jose. He's a good dude, man. I, I met him, uh, you know, when he was still fighting for Titan, and uh, he's always been a, a really good to us. But um, a, a talented kid, and he's doing this uh, web series called Inside Team Shorty, and uh, it's it's a a video. Of of a series of that he's going to be doing and and you know talking about all things whatever but in this one it's titled DJ is gone and so is the flyweight division I thought this was pretty cool because I've seen some people you know a couple Twitter comments here and there but um, you know I hadn't heard anybody do this uh, where he, he sat down and and basically did a a, a little video um, on what he thinks about it. and I think he makes some great points and. Uh, discusses some great things, so I, I wanted to share. And I hopefully won't. Uh, I don't think you'll mind. I'm, I'm I'm sharing the whole thing here. Uh, it's it's an audio version of it, and of course there's the video uh, on YouTube. Um, but I, I just thought the audio was really good here, and I thought that uh, he brings up some good points that I wanted to kind of go over because you know we still don't know what's happening with the flyweight division, but if you if you'll hear here, um, Jose Shorty Torres kind of sees the writing on the wall as well. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Inside Team Shorty, where I'll be giving you the reality, the truth, and everything behind the scenes of the sport of MMA. Let's get to the main topic. So, huge news. Demetrius Johnson is going to 1FC. Ben Askren is coming to the UFC. It's a great thing for the sport. Again, every other sport does trades. 
the NBA, the NFL, soccer, so many other sports. And now MMA is finally catching up. I think it's a huge and great thing for both the athletes and the promotions. Mainly for these two athletes, they've accomplished everything they can possibly accomplish in their respected promotions. Now they don't just want to see that they're the best in their promotion, but now the best in the world. Again, Ben Askren such a dominant wrestler in Asia, now coming over to the US where the UFC in his divisions, wrestlers rank king. And for Demetrius Johnson, again, the best pound for pound ever in UFC's history, the most championship title defenses at 11, is now moving over to 1FC, where in Asia, it's the complete opposite. The small guys reign king. And it's a great thing for the promotions too. They get to trade, have some fantasy matchups that the fans have just been dying for. And I'm excited to see how these athletes do in these new promotions. Will Demetrius Johnson be as dominant as he was in the UFC? And will Ben Askren be able to take down and hold on everyone he was able to just like in 1FC? But let's talk about the news that no one's really bringing up. In Ben Askren's division, he's perfectly set. But Demetrius Johnson, on the other hand, he left the UFC. The UFC flyweight division, honestly, has been very notable and he was the best thing we had to offer again i am a flyweight contender in the ufc when we look at the bigger picture here we had the best pound for pound champion in the ufc's history and even then dana white wanted to close or at least threatened to close the division what's it mean for us now that he's gone what do we as flyweights have to offer honestly again i believe we are one of the most talented divisions out there we might not have heavyweight knockout power we have the speed, the technique, and everything else to make up for it. Again, we do have exciting fights, but sadly, we're not as well promoted as the lightweights, the welterweights, the light heavies, and heavyweights. So what does that mean for us small guys? Demetrius Johnson's set. He's accomplished everything he wants to accomplish. Now he's going over to 1FC where there's nothing but small guys. But for the UFC, the flyweights now have Henry Cejudo to challenge. The only bad thing though is Henry Cejudo wants to bump up. He doesn't even want to defend his belt against possibly Jocelyn Formiga, which I believe is the next one in line. Henry Cejudo wants to bump up to fight TJ Dillashaw, which again is a great super fight. But in my personal perspective, I think you should at least defend the belt once Show that you're not just a champion, but a dominant one at that. And then move up to the next level and see if that's the right thing for you. Henry Cejudo is a big flyweight and he fits perfectly with the Bantamweight division. But I personally don't believe he deserves a super fight right off the bat. Mainly after a split decision win against the pound for pound best. Given I'm biased and I think TJ Dillashaw would wreck Henry Cejudo, but that's not the point of the video. It's the fact that we have... A great champion in Henry Cejudo that's not giving any other person in our division a chance to shine. He immediately wants to bump up and fight TJ Dillashaw, which, hey, that's great for you, but what about the rest of us? With a new champion that doesn't even want to defend the belt, and honestly, with the fans not knowing any other flyweight besides Demetrius Johnson, Henry Cejudo, and maybe Sergio Pettis, honestly, it doesn't look good for us. Now, again, this is all under speculation, all opinion-based rumors from what I've heard. Nothing has been confirmed. So don't just say like, oh, Shorty said this. Ah, no, it, it, again, this is just me looking at the bigger picture from a business standpoint. Again, I'm a flyweight fighter. I believe I'm entertaining. I believe I can put on a show and really show the fans that we are exciting fighters. But from a business standpoint, when's the last time you've seen a flyweight main event? Given my stats might be wrong with this, but I think out of 11 title defenses for Demetrius Johnson, he was a main event maybe twice, possibly three times. The only other main event in flyweight history besides Demetrius Johnson has been Sergio Pettis and Brandon Moreno, two Mexicans who fought in Mexico City. They were trying to promote Mexican fighters in Mexico. Makes nothing but sense. 
You look at the backing that Yair Rodriguez had, the backing that Canelo has right now, and so many other Mexican fighters. But can the UFC do that with Henry Cejudo? Honestly, I really don't believe so. They might be able to promote Henry Cejudo, but I don't think they'll be able to promote him at flyweight. Maybe with him not even trying to give a title defense. I'm not bashing Henry Cejudo whatsoever. He's a phenomenal champion, a phenomenal wrestler. Again, he deserves the title. Even though I believe DJ won the split decision, overall, that doesn't matter. He won the belt. He has it. I believe it's his job to defend it. And if he bumps up and wins, that's even worse for us. Will he even ever come back down to defend his flyweight belt? Personally, I wouldn't. He was just on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about he wants to bump up. He wants to fight Bantamweight. He wants to fight TJ Dillashaw. And he's had years of wrestling where he's been cutting weight. Again, he's in his prime right now, but... What happens in a year or two years, your metabolism starts to slow down. You're in your 30s. You just don't want to go down to 125. I know from personal experience with last minute weight cuts, it's, it's not fun at all. And it can ruin your performance. So what happens to the flyweight division next? Well, there's a few ways to look at it. The flyweight division stays around. There's an interim belt, maybe even a vacant belt and possibly a new champion. It gives a lot of opportunity, but will the UFC promote us? That's the biggest issue here. There's not many guys in the flyweight division that are like Conor McGregor, Colby Covington, the smack talkers that have a lot of promotion behind them. So will the UFC take time to publicize another athlete? The biggest three that they've promoted were DJ, which honestly wasn't much, even with his record-breaking accomplishments, Henry Cejudo, which is now champion, trying to bump up, and Sergio Pettis because he is a Pettis. His older brother was the former lightweight world champion. That's something to definitely promote. But because he's lost to the number one contender, Drew Formiga, and the champion now, Henry Cejudo, Sergio Pettis is actually bumping up to 135, given, again, his next fight is December 15th in Milwaukee. That could 100% be the reason he wants to fight at home. But that still doesn't look good for us. Who else do we have to market? And again, I'm saying this from a business standpoint of view. If you go to the average fan, not the educated fan that loves DJ, loves Sergio Pettis, and loves everyone in the flyweight division, but the average fan, and we go, name me five flyweight fighters. More than likely, they're going to name those three. Maybe one or two more, but not much. But if you go to any other division, they more than likely can name top five, top seven, maybe even top 10, just because those bigger guys are promoted. It's not because they're more exciting, not because they're more flash or whatever the case may be. It's the fact that the UFC has publicized them and the average fan knows who they are, or at least have seen them before. UFC fighters that are flyweights are usually UFC fight past prelims or prelims at most. The only time you see a flyweight fighter in the main card is from a title, a title defense, or the veterans like Joseph Benavides. And again, I'm not trying to bash my flyweight comrades because again we're all amazing athletes that some of us can bump up but what happens to the others that are honestly even small for the flyweight division one fighter that stands out to me because i had the honor of fighting him before is jared brooks he's a small flyweight fighter he's fought at strawweight before so what if the flyweight division gets cut does he bump up to 135 which i believe he can but would the ufc even want to keep him for that would the ufc honestly want to keep any of us to bump up if they were to cut the flyweight division right now what would they do pick and choose who bumps up would they keep everyone and respect the contracts and see where it goes from there or would they give you a chance fight and once you lose you're out this whole demetrius johnson ben Askren trade is phenomenal for the sport and i'm excited to see where it goes from here for both both athletes for both champions both promotions and possibly future athletes get traded you never know and the possibilities are honestly endless but for the flyweight division what's going to happen next there's opportunity for us to shine but no one's really helping us do that and again as the average fan viewing most of them never watch the ufc fight past prelims even 
the prelims on Fox. More than likely, and most of the time, they're waiting for the main card because that's the one that's promoted the most. And if a flyweight isn't on it, how are you going to know us? Again, we could be the best in the world, just like Demetrius Johnson. But if he's not publicized properly, no one's going to even want to respect him. Again, the guy did a suplex to an armbar to the number one flyweight contender in Ray Borg. He is a phenomenal athlete. But if you're not promoted... Who cares? No one knows you. And he wasn't respected in the UFC. And I think 1FC is going to take full advantage of this. And with Ben Askren coming in, fighting the possibilities of maybe Khabib, GSP, Colby Covington, and so many more. These guys are the best of the best in the UFC. I'm just excited to see what's next. But for the flyweights, yeah, I know flyweights scheduled for November and even December. But is anyone scheduled to fight in January, February, or overall in the year of 2019? That, I don't know. I don't have a fight yet, and I'm still waiting. But I'm lucky because I was a two-way class champion in Titan FC. I fought at 25 and 35 and even defended both belts. But does that matter to the UFC? I have no clue. They can keep me or cut me if they cut the flyweight division. That's all their choice. Overall, what do you think? Do you think because DJ is gone, the possibilities are endless for the flyweight division? Or it's actually the complete opposite. And once he's gone, our division goes too. All right, so there you have it. Laying it out, Jose Shorty Torres keeping it honest and real about kind of what he sees, you know, and, and it's what we've talked about before. Listen, I still can't get anybody to go on record with me about whether or not this uh, this division is going away. And it's interesting because <laughs> these are people that are talking to me about other stuff, and then we mention that, and uh, all of a sudden it becomes crickets. So, you know... Right now, we're all left to just kind of guess and wonder. But what you do is you start looking at the writing on the wall. You start you start looking at everything that's happening. And, and that's what Jose has done. And he's saying, listen, I, I don't pretend to know what's going on. I don't pretend to know uh, or have any inside information. But I'm telling you, I'm a little bit concerned. And, and here's why. And, and I thought he laid out the case really well. You know, um, you know, for, first, just by letting Demetrius Johnson go, you know, that shows you something right there. I mean, I know that. Demetrius was a little frustrating for the for the guys behind the scenes to deal with. Um, you know, Dana's openly talked about it in the past as far as you know financial demands or contract demands that he didn't seem to think were very realistic uh, or fair. Um, but listen, that's part of what these guys do, right? Negotiations are what they do. I don't think the UFC was so pissed at Demetrius Johnson that you know. He wanted to just let him go because I can't stand dealing with the guy anymore. I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, it's part of a – it feels like it would be part of a, of a bigger strategy. It feels like it would be part of something more, not just, hey, we can't stand this guy and dealing with him anymore. He's one of the pound-for-pound pound best, you know, to do this, and we're going to let him go. Uh, I don't know about that. And then, of course, Jose points to the fact that there's only a handful of of, uh, of fights booked right now, you know? And then, of course, the caveat of Henry Cejudo wanting to move up to 135 pounds, which I, I've said it. I agree with Jose. I don't think it makes sense. If you're going to do the super fight between Cejudo and Dillashaw, you do it at 125. You let Dillashaw you know, the more established champion, you let him move down and go for two belts. You don't give it to the guy that, that just won and, and won a close fight. I mean, I thought he won the fight. I did I did score that fight for Henry Cejudo over Demetrius Johnson, but it was close. It, was, it wasn't some, 
you know, blow away victory where you think, oh my God, this dude is on a whole different level. Oh my, you know, there's there's no challengers for him. No, he, he did what he had to do, man. He scrapped it out. But I don't think it makes sense for him to go up and, and fight for, you know, another another title. And of course, we're hearing that that might happen in January in Anaheim, which uh, UFC and Bellator are going head-to-head on that night in Southern California. Bummed about that one, too. We'll get into that later. Well, I guess we'll have lots of uh, lots of MMA junkie crew out in Southern California that week. That will be... Uh, I, I just hate that they're on the same night, man. I, I get it. It's unavoidable. Uh, you know, dates are going to conflict from time to time, and neither promotion can really worry so much about what the other's doing and, and do their business that way. That's not the way to do it. They've got to just worry about what they're doing. But ah, two cards in Southern California. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, yeah, it's, it sounds like Cejudo and Dillashaw may fight at that at that event. So what does that mean for flyweight? What does that mean for flyweight? I like the flyweight division. I do. I, I, I think everything that Jose said is true, man. I think they're talented, talented guys. Uh, and I think some of the, the, the best martial arts in the sport are, are there, man. I think the fights are always exciting. The guys are, uh, you know, in such great shape. It's almost cliched. But, yeah, man, they can go the distance. They, they, you know, the transitions are so quick, man. They can They can do everything. So I would hate to see the flyweight division go away. If – Maybe that means that 165 is being added in. Maybe I could live with it at that point, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's the angle here. I don't think that's what what Dana is is going at, unless he's had a change of heart. So maybe, maybe, maybe he has. Maybe he has. But anyway, thought that was interesting, just to hear a flyweight kind of uh, kind of do what we're doing <laughs> and try to figure out what the hell's going on. So. That was Jose Torres. All right, well, listen, at uh, at this point, why don't we just uh, take, a, take a phone call out to New York, reach out to our man, Cold Coffee, and uh, see what's going on this fine evening. Hello? Cold Coffee, what's happening, man? What's up, man? Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you good, man. Where are you at in the, uh, in the uh, luxury penthouse suite of uh, some <laughs> swanky New York hotel? Oh, it's so swanky. I have the best view of brick walls on one side, and the other side I have some brick walls, but some buildings. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty... I'm pretty swanky, but I'm not right next to an elevator shaft, so uh, I'm 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 pretty good. That's fantastic, man. I'll tell you what, you know, I know everybody loves going to New York, and everybody you know, enjoys the, the city and what an amazing city it is, you know, but dude, the hotel rooms as a rule kind of suck there, man. They're always tiny and a very, very expensive, very expensive. And, uh, yeah, the last time when I came, uh, was for the Bellator event. It's crazy, man. This has been like the third trip to New York in like, I don't know. It feels like four weeks, four or five weeks or something. That's it's true. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little over New York right now. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> As much as I like Manhattan and I like this area, um, yeah, it's uh, the rooms have been uh, pretty pretty rough. But that last trip for Bellator, there was that hotel mix-up when I first got here, and I went over to Bond's hotel room, and his room was just in an absolute – it was a shithole. But I was so <laughs> tired. I was so tired. I was just like, I got to crash on your floor, man. I'm just, like, dying here. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, man, I'm probably getting, like, lice from the floor or some weird <laughs> shit. 
But there's a point when you're so tired, it doesn't even matter. You just want to nap. But I got really lucky in this one, and uh, we had some good hotel room, uh, good hotel rooms. I love my hotel room. It's kind of laid out. It's not the biggest, but the way that it's laid out is as soon as you walk in the door, there's the bed, and then the bathroom is to the right of it. So there's a wall that separates from the bedroom to the bathroom, and then on the right side of the the bathroom, the other wall is where they have the desk and a little chair. So it's almost like a little mini suite in the sense where like the, the table and the other side chair are in a different little section. It's still like the same size of like a a hotel room, (laughs) but it, but it's sectioned in a certain way that you feel like, Oh, I got like a little mini suite, you know, by like small, like, Japanese hotel room standards. <laughs> I was gonna you know? say, it's a, yeah, I was gonna say that's what it sounds like—a little feng shui there, a little IKEA specialty yeah. going on. Oh yeah, it is. But uh, I'll take it. It's not bad though. I mean, it's it's good to be here. I mean, the weather's been great. It's actually pretty warm. Uh, every day we've been going out with like jackets because the uh, you know your phone will tell you, oh, it's like fifty or less or sixty or whatever, and so we'll grab jackets and it's like unseasonably warm here right now. Uh, so yeah, it's. I, I was expecting to be a little bit cooler and kind of take in the chill of the air, and it's not really that cold at all. So uh, it's nice. been nice, man. Nice. It's been well, nice. Well, this is the first Madison Square Garden car that I haven't gone to, so I, I got to rely on you. Give me an idea what what the feel is like. I mean, you know, these are typically big UFC events, and and it, I mean, it is a big title fight, but. You know, I mean, this card kept changing. The main event wasn't coming together, and I think everybody was just kind of waiting to see. Um, is the buzz building in New York? I mean, does this feel like the other events, or, or does this feel maybe a, a little smaller? It feels smaller. It feels, it feels uh, you know, no offense to the guys on the card and the fact that it is a pay-per-view, but it kind of has like a uh, – uh, almost like a fight night feel. Uh, there's not a bu- there's not a big buzz in the city, but it's hard to get a buzz in the city. Yeah, because the city's just got so much stuff going on already. You know, we're down. Uh, we're staying around in the theater district area, so there's you know Broadway shows and there's everything going, and that's nearby where the host hotel. So it, you know, you you come out and there's just so much going on that it uh, this UFC fight just kind of gets drowned in the in the overall noise of of what's happening here. And, and let's be real. I mean, there's, there's no real heat and animosity, you know, in that, that main event, you know, I mean, it's going to be a great fight, but there's no, you know, nobody's fanning the uh, flames of, you know, anger or really like driving, you know, it's, it's two guys that most people absolutely like, you know, and if not adore, you know, Derek's, you know, really, jumped up the, you know, the, the love meter of fans on Instagram and other stuff, you know, we've been longtime fans of his Instagram account. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to, to see all the new people, but I mean, he's been embracing it and, but, you know, Daniel's been very respective of Derek, you know, Derek, you know, even though both these guys want to go out and, you know, beat the other guy, they're both have a lot of respect for each other. So, in that particular fight, you know, it's just, you know, it's like the fight that everybody's going to be watching me and, and might be like, I really don't want to see either one lose, you know, yeah. but um, it's so there's not a lot of heat there. And then you look at the, you know, the Susan Weidman, they're cordial, you know, that yeah. fight kind of just came together. You know, when you look down the line, you know, the, 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 the biggest fight that almost has like heat, but it's not really that bad is like Adesanya and Brunson. <laughs> yeah, that's the one and that that's, was standing out to me. And that's the start of the main card. That's, 
you know, four fights away from the main event, you know, and then you, you go further down the line and there's just, you know, <laughs> no one's going to say, you know, that Eubanks not a fairy, man. There's, there's fireworks, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, a lot of hate and anger going on between these two, you know, I mean, it's pretty respectful events. And it just, there's a lot of good fighters on this, but it just, for some reason, it's not, it doesn't feel like the buzz of what you would feel from a typical, um, you know, UFC, maybe that's partially, I mean, UFC has been throwing double titles on all these, you know, big pay-per-views. And I think a lot of people are surprised that that didn't eventually happen here. I mean, they had some issues they tried, I'm sure. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. It just, it almost feels like a fight night, except for the fact that we're in the middle of the biggest business, biggest and busiest, you know, city in the u.s yeah um, it's, so kinda, it's, it's nutty it's kind of how it feels from distance but before we i want to talk about the main event in just a second but uh, i will say in terms of heat uh I, I did see our boy jason knight get up in there in the uh in the face-offs today how, how did he end up uh, how did he end up shirtless uh at the at the face-offs was he, he just he just as soon as he was walking on the stage just stripped his shirt off <laughs> you know and it happened so quickly it was just like is he really doing that i mean <laughs> It's, uh, it's, that's just Jason, man. Like I was even, uh, I was talking to young, my bond, you know, after we did the interview with him, Jason's always a good interview, man. When he is on, he is on. And it's funny, you know, he was sitting by himself for a moment when we got done with one of our interviews and we went over there and of course he loves the junkie brand. Of course. He saw junkie come rolling up, man. He lit up and he gave us a great interview you know pack with some zingers and one-liners and so i think he just rode the momentum i think he was in good spirits and then when it came time he just wanted to put on a show you know and some people might see it as erratic and crazy but i've just i've come to fucking love all that shit that he does i think it's endearing when he goes out there and acts like a fucking wild man I do and too. uh but it was cool. I mean, like he did it and he did the thing and then he reached out for a fucking high five after it, you know, or a low <laughs> five, whatever, you know, so you can't really read too much into like, oh man, he was so fired up. He wanted to, he was hating on him. He stripped his clothes off. He was just going crazy. Just, he's just selling it, man. He just bring, I think that's his way of injecting a little bit of energy into a, into what for the most part was a very just, you know, kind of calm and easy you know, face-offs today, you know, outside of that, I mean, what really stood out? No, that was you know, it. That the, was it. You know, the, the fact that everybody else was super cordial and Jacare and Weidman hugged and Weidman did the, you know, the gator slam bite, whatever you call it, the gator chomp, whatever. And, uh, you know, even Derek and DC, you know, that was the first time them really sort of facing off. And, and he had, uh, DC had mentioned it in the, uh, uh, open workouts, you know, somebody talked about how Derek had his last couple opponents had, you know, sort of pushed them or did something at uh, the the open workouts. Right. I mean, he's like, you know, like when people get in front of me, you know, like he's like, I have no doubt in my mind that nothing is going to happen. You know, you know, they're cordial. There's one thing like one you see DC across me. It's not like he's ever said a bad thing about you, especially in Derek's case. He hasn't said anything about him. So it's not like Derek's going to try to do something. He's not out there wearing a goofy hat that gives Derek something to focus on. You know, uh, no offense to Volkov's hat. I mean, I'm sure he loved his hat, you know. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It's just, 
it's funny because they almost had a little smile between the two of yeah. them. Like, I think Daniel maybe said something to him, like, because they didn't immediately separate. And he said enough of something that, you know, that Derek kind of chuckled a little bit. So, I mean, they're having fun. I mean, they're, these guys, are, they're, they're cordial. They're respectful of each other. I mean, I think we're going to see some good action, but you're not going to see the stuff that, you know, the uh, casuals are going to be like, oh, I can't wait to see this fight, you know, if anything, they're going to wait to see what Derek would do if he was able to win it to see if he, you know, gives another, you know, hot balls comment, you know, or something, but yeah, it's weird. And from what I've seen, you know, last time I saw somebody tweeted a picture of the tickets, there were still a decent amount of tickets. Yeah. Now, granted that was a day or and a half, maybe two days ago when I saw that, so maybe things have picked up. You know, I, I think that a lot of those nosebleed seats, especially being where it's at, that's the kind of thing that day of I could see picking up. Yeah. I mean, like, nobody's going to go out of the way. When they look and they see those tickets, it's not like everybody's like, oh, man, I got to really go out of my way to get that nosebleed seat before it sells out, you know, yeah. if they've probably been looking at it. So I'm assuming that it'll probably be day of sort of thing. Or we might see a last-minute rush, you know, to kind of go in. And um, let's be real, there's just so much other stuff in this town to do. It you know. is. It is hard, man. When you go to the big cities, you know, New York, L.A., it's 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 hard to get the attention that that you want, man. It's it's a tough ask for them. Even you know, the the bright side is you get all the media, so there's a bunch of outlets that can cover you because they've got people there. The downside is it's just hard to get you know the public's attention when they got a million things going on. So well, let me ask you about Derek. As you said, man, we're kind of long-time homers, no question about it. But, I mean, this is a stiff test for him. I mean, I, I, even being a homer for Derek Lewis, you got to say, you know, D.C., one of the greatest ever. Uh, you know, it's a tough challenge. And Derek has said himself, you know, when he fights other guys, they're more well-rounded than he is. They're better mixed martial artists than he is. But I did want to ask you, I mean, physically, you know, again, I'm watching on video, man. I'm not there in person. I'm, I'm watching pictures and videos and things like that. But, um it he looks good to me, man. I, he looks lean. Yeah. And, and he looks to be in good shape, and um, I don't know mentally, man. He just seems to be in a real good good place as well. Am I reading too much into it, or does this really look physically and mentally like you know an on point Derek Lewis? It, it, it does, and that's the only thing that kind of makes me regret not picking Derek. As much as it pained me to not pick Derek, I was willing to take the loss just to stay a homer and pick uh, Derek, you know, for this particular fight, but. Um, going back to your question, this is, I think, the second leanest that he's came into a fight week. Now, granted, this is not far off of his last fight week, so I think he just kind of controlled himself. I think he let himself have fun for like a day or two, and then it was back at it. You know, he was, you know, trying to, uh, or maybe not even that short amount of time, but pretty much. I mean, he, he gave himself a little bit of time to kind of rest, but for the most part, he's been right back into it. But when I talked to his coach, uh, I mean, he was light, he was lean. Um, he's I, the only thing that kind of threw me off was that the fact that he didn't want to do the open workout. Right. Um, the only thing I, that I, I really sort of thought about it was, I think he's just tired. I mean, he's cut, he's cutting, he's, you know, coming in leaner than he has, but I just feel mentally he's, he's tired. So I'm wondering how much that it's going into, these final days, you know, if there really is any sort of how much physical stuff that they're really sort of doing, I think they're probably trying to control it. Cause it, I just feel that he's coming in a little bit more tired. So they're going to be a little bit um, more uh, controlled and how much activity that they're going to make him do leading yeah, up to just, the fight. You just because hope they realize that back, basically you hope it's not that right. Back. 
And I think that's partially it too. Maybe they realize that, you know, like doing certain things is going to put a little bit extra strain, but Hey, if we, we want to work on maybe some technique, we want to go on something, we'll go a little bit here, but I think they've really incorporated a lot more of the stretching and, and, uh, working some things. I mean, but let's be real. I mean, like Daniel's wrestling skills and his ability on the ground, that's not something that you can just crash course for, right? you know, and, and this is something that Derek's constantly been working on to get better and better at. I think at this point he had to work on what was best for him and what was best for his game plan. And that's keeping his back in good order getting his weight down so he maybe the the cardio and the stamina last longer since this is one of those fights that can gruel a lot longer, you know, especially with Daniel that, you know, if he was, if Volkov was able to keep him down and sort of weigh on him, you know, Daniel's going to be able to do that much more. And we've always heard how heavy Daniel becomes once he lays on top of yeah. him. He's just got such good control that it's going to be very, very, tiring and and energy draining for Derek. So I think they're trying to make a good point to bring him in lighter, but also to conserve his energy throughout this week so that he's not going to be burned out, you know, uh, by the time he gets to fight week that he's going to have a little bit of extra store. So maybe that's why they didn't do the open workout. But I mean, I love his open workouts because he hits the damn pad so hard. I mean, you get to see what's going on. I felt bad for the fans that didn't do it, but you know, he, he got to shine a little bit and he did his Q&A, you know. Uh, I think the fans enjoyed that. And uh, so it's good to see that. So, I mean, mentally, he's in good spirits and uh, he's prepared for it. I think he believes in himself enough. He believes in his hand and he believes in the power. Right. I just think that he also, um, he's smart and he's also, uh, he's a realist. He understands that, you know, that's why I think he gets so down on himself when his performance, even when he won. A lot of times he'd be not the happiest after it because he realized that there's certain things that uh, he needed to work on for his next performance or whatever. And he immediately after that last fight was like, I'm not, I don't want the title thing right now, you know? And of course, when the opportunity comes, he's not going to pass it up. But he also realizes in that short amount of time, those weaknesses and the faults are still there, you know? But I think he's maintaining a positive outlook going into it and doing the best that he can to at least approach the fight night in the best shape and the best form of whatever the particular game plan is going to do. Um, he believes in that hand that if he clocks him, and that's the thing, DC has, he has a chin and he's taken some kick butt shots yep. from guys like Johnson. And I mean, you name it. I mean, he's taken some really good shots and he weathers them. I hope that DC doesn't, isn't so overconfident and the fact that he thinks that, you know, if Derek catches him flush with one of these really good shots, then he's just going to be able to brush it off like maybe, say, yeah. Stipe, who has some power. You know, I, I think it's the kind of thing that Derek, what, what we did see in that last fight was that the power maintained all the way through the fight, even after he was tired. That's saying a lot. You know, that's he's controlling. Uh, he's doing better at maintaining some energy to still be able to deliver knockout power after you know 15 minutes of for the most part just getting worked that's a dangerous dude so you know uh i think you know dc is gonna have to watch it and be smart not try to go in there and just say all right you know i'm gonna walk forward to take a couple punches just so i can grab a hold of you and get you down you know um but also i just don't want i don't want to see Derek trying to do some of these crazy kicks 
and things that we see, you know, these jump switch kicks and these whatever he's trying to do with these head kicks. It's like, bro, if you land a solid leg kick on some of these dudes or a solid kick to the kidneys, you would literally destroy him. His legs are as big as, as a sedan two-door, you know what I mean? Or something, or four-door, however many. He's, he's, he's a big dude and he's powerful, man. But it's interesting. I, mean, I think, you know, both guys bring a lot of weapons that can win this. And, and as much as I homer for Derek, I want him to get that knockout. I want him to win. I want to be wrong in this one. But, uh, you know, my brain is, maybe it's because, you know, we, I've been getting all cutthroat with our, our staff picks, you know, that part of me is like not wanting to uh, homer as much as I normally do. Um, but I won't be sad. I won't be sad if I'm wrong in this one and Derek walks away, you know, because this is the kind of one it, it's almost, I, I thought about it. I was like, this would be a perfect out for DC who's nearing the end of his career is to lose to Derek instead of losing to John Jones coming up to heavyweight. Right. Yeah, that would that, that would definitely stick with him. That's for sure. That well, would break his heart. Well, for let me, good. So let me so let me ask you this about DC because it kind of stuck out to me when he came to Vegas and did the media day, and it stuck out to me a little bit too. You remember I asked him about you know hey you know aren't you putting a lot on the line here? I mean you know technically if you lose to Derek Lewis you know you could lose both your belts in one night and then you don't get the Lesnar fight and, and he said. You know, hey, uh, you know, if I lose, well, maybe that, you know, I don't give up that light heavyweight belt because I'm still the light heavyweight champion. And 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 he said some kind of similar stuff this week uh, that was kind of like, well, if I lose, I've still already accomplished what I've accomplished. You know, I, I'm still in MMA history. I'm still one of the greatest ever. I'm not questioning the guy's mindset. I mean, the dude's been competing at a high level since he was a kid. Um, but does it sound weird to hear him say those things? It's like almost accepting that it is possible that he might lose this fight? No, I think, if anything, I think he has a firm grasp. And I think this goes to show how smart and analytical DC is. I think a lot of guys, once they maybe get it, it's all about how long they can hold on to it, how long can they do it. But he's had the title, and he's lost the title before. So I think that was a big eye-opening experience for him. And then I think you could take it two different ways. You could either sulk and constantly strive for it like it's the uh my precious ring you know like Gollum and constantly <laughs> going for it or you find solace in the fact that you actually you've been there they can't take that ever away from you his piece of history you know that he solidified for himself can never go away they might take the belts and and the new champions are crowned but they won't ever change the fact that he's been a champion and i think he takes that to heart and when he explains it i mean I firmly believe he believes it and he's happy and he's content that he could lose both titles. And I think he would still feel that he's had a great career Mm. and that he's proven and he's been able to do more than he had hoped for. Um, You know, he achieved everything he wanted. He didn't want to go up to heavyweight when Kane was there. You know, Kane's not fighting right now. He was able to go up and get the title there. Um, You can't ever take that away from him. And I, I think, this also is from a man that he's already he's already set the end date. He knows when he wants to finish. So I think he's done all the, you know, introspective thinking about what was left to do and what he's happy with, what he's accomplished to make that decision. I think he's firmly at peace with the fact that he could be beltless, you know, in, in short time and be absolutely fine with it because, you know, he's got a great deal going on with the um, – 
uh, being able to do the broadcast work and yeah. all that kind of stuff. He's he's established what he needs to do, and uh, it's it's not like not fighting is the end all for him, the end of things for him. He's still got a bright career still within martial arts after that. So, and he's got his his gym work and stuff. And I think part of that goes back to you know he was talking about his father and his father, you know helping out coaching and doing all these sort of things while still raising a family. And, and Daniel got that work ethic from that. So I think he's already got ideas in his head of what he can be doing after he's done worried about all this fighting stuff and the training stuff. So I think he's getting excited, you know? So I think if anything else, uh, he's excited to have these things right now. He wants to get these, uh, you know, next big fights. If it works out perfectly, he'll get a top offense here or get that Brock defense, uh, you know, win against him, make another big paycheck. And then if it times out and something happens and he maybe gets a chance to get something back on Jones, but I think he's perfectly fine if he never gets a win back because then people will always say, well, he's got two wins over you. Yeah. And then you reach in and then you're always driving. So I think, you know, he's, he's, he's very content and, and I, I believe him. It doesn't ring false to me when he says it, you know, I, you hear some guys out there say stuff and, uh, I, just, I don't know. I just believe it. He's a good salesman, maybe. Maybe he's got me completely <laughs> whitewashed about it. But uh, I believe him when he says that uh, he can lose the belts and be content because he is happy with his place in history because he's right. You can't ever take it away from him. He'll, he'll, he'll forever be an Olympian. You can't take that away. And people always will give him credit for that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so, yeah, I mean, good for him. I mean, he's, he's accomplished and he seems happy with it. And he seems uh, he seems excited to, for the next chapter that's uh, – Rapidly coming. You yeah, know, it, man. Could, could, could be here before we know it if he sticks to his date. He says in March. So uh, a big step for him, man. I, I, you know, it's, it's hard not to like Daniel Cormier, um, and, and you'd love to see him kind of win and get that Lesnar fight and maybe kind of ride off into the sunset like that. I don't think he needs to fight John Jones again. I mean, I think as selfish fans, we'd all like to see it, but, man, I'd hate to see him go out on a loss to John Jones. I feel like that might haunt him a little bit. You know, what he's accomplished yeah. here, I feel like he's kind of moved past it. But – Gosh, man, how do you not pull for Derek Lewis, man? I'd, 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 I'd love to see him do it, man. It would be the, just the most unlikely scenario, the most unlikely champion, but uh, such a good dude. I'd, I'd love to see him do it. So uh, let me ask you about the co-main, Jacare Souza versus Chris Weidman. You know, of course, this was supposed to be Luke Rockhold, and I'll be honest, man, I, I wish it would have been Rockhold. I think it had a little more flavor to it. Um, as you said, you know, I mean, these are two elite-level middleweights. There's no question about it. Two of the best in the game. Uh, two guys that have been recovering from injury and that have had to deal with some situations over the last couple of years. Um, but as you said, no, you know, no tension, no, no nothing like that. They've been more than respectful all week long, and, and I think it could be a fun fight stylistically the way these guys come together. But um, you know, any any insight from either one of these guys that you picked up this week that made, that, that you're feeling, you know, that, that, that made you change your mind on how you're feeling about this fight? No, I mean, I'm definitely very excited about it. But, I mean, watching everybody, listening to all you guys sort of pick Wyden in, in our staff picks, you know, kind of made me feel like everybody's like, oh, Susan, so, so he's long in the tooth, you know. He's, yeah. he's much older, you know. He's not the same. And I still think he is still dangerous. And I still think he has a lot of confidence. And I think he has power in his hands. But also, something I did see this week is just the, the fact of Wyden, his confidence. He's so happy to be back. He was loose. I thought uh, he was so relaxed. I mean, I thought him and when they went out there and uh, with Longo, Ray Longo was holding mitts and they were hitting. I thought they were connecting well. I thought his hands looked good. Um, I started to, I started to doubt my pick a little bit, you know. Um, 
but I, I'll stand firm in the fact that if I think Sosa can get it down to the ground, I think he's going to get it done that way. Um, I'm not sure if, it, if it'll take a nice hit to get him down, but I, I, I feel that that's what it's going to, I think a submission's how it's going to play out. And I, I think it's going to work out in Sosa's favor. I mean, not that Weidman's a, a, a slouch in the area when it gets to the ground, but I think it's better in his, his factor if he can keep it standing and, and stay moving. So I'm looking forward to see how they both do, and especially him getting in there after being away, you know, what is it, a year and a half? Um, feels like two years. It feels longer than that. I mean, he's been around the scene, you know, when his teammates have been fighting, you know, so we've been seeing him. But, you know, the fact to see him back in there. But he looked lean and mean, man. I, I know he still had some some weight to go, uh, according to, like, the, uh, the media day face-offs and stuff. I know he had to probably finish off the final, final deal there. But... Uh, it looked good. I mean, uh, I'm excited for it. I mean, just for the fact to see where both these guys are and where this fight's going to end up. You know, is it going to stay on the, on the, uh, you know, on the feet, or is somebody going to make a move and try to get it to the ground and end it there? And if it does, you know, does Weidman, you know, can he shake it off, get it back to his feet, and and show these hands and show what's been, you know, that he's been working. He says he's been working, you know, as much as you can, I guess, with an injury and with a hand. Um, so it'd be interesting to see That's a lot of time that for something that, you know, kind of really come in focused and maybe have a, a few different tricks in the bag that we don't know about. So it could be interesting to see. So yeah, I'm excited for it. I yeah. think it'll be a good fight. It's a good fight. Uh, speaking of lean and mean, I wanted to ask you about Jerry Cannonier. I, I saw his interview today. I didn't Boy, even, I didn't yeah. even recognize him. The guy looks like a totally different dude. Doesn't he? I even said, I was like, one, I was like, Dude, are you going to keep the hair? I, I like it. You know, it's like, you know, he's all like, you know, and he loves it. He loves it. I forget what he called it. He's like, that's my crown. I was like, okay, yeah. I was like, I'm not going to call it a fro. I'm going to call it a crown, you know. But I dig it. But no, he was lean and mean, man. And he needs to be. He's going against a, a tough David Branch, man. And uh, I stopped doubting Branch, man. I think I picked against him one of the fights. And it was like, oh, you know, yeah, he was a double champion. Coming WSOS, and then he's coming in, and I forget who he starts. And I'm just like, okay, never mind. I'm not going to doubt Branch. <laughs> and uh, but Cam Years, man, he's got power, man. But this is it's a big test, man. Going to middleweight, I mean, that's a that's a, that's a big one. I mean, that's a it's a decent jump. I mean, he's been going down over over time, but uh, he's got his hands full. But he's got some power, man. It'd be interesting to see uh, how much of that power he still has at a lighter weight, and uh, you know, to see where his fitness is at. I mean, but he looked good. He looked happy. He didn't he look did. struggling. I agree. He looked like he maybe still had some left to go, but he looked like he was in good spirits, man. Like this, this whole week he's, he's looked like he's been happy yep. and uh, that looks good. That bodes well for him. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that's an intriguing matchup. And, you know, I, I I'm a little nervous that, that, you know, Cannoneer will have problems in the morning. Of course, you know, it's Thursday night as we always do talking about this. I hope Friday morning, you know, that weight is an issue because, uh, man, David Branch, you know, the, the journey to get here, it ain't from to lose an opponent or something like that. So, uh, you know, won't, won't even give that any energy, but hopefully it doesn't happen. But I, I thought Cannonier looked good. It, you know, it, it, it looked lean. And, and uh, as you said, with the hair, he just he looks like a totally different human being, which is crazy. Totally different dude. <laughs> yeah. You got Jack Marsh and Carl Roberson. I think that's, a, you know, a, a good fight there. But I think the one that everybody is really – I feel like is is stealing a lot of the attention this week, and I guess we just should be used to that by now. Uh, Israel Adesanya and Derek Brunson, man. I mean, the the the, the last style bender. 
no question about it, man. I mean, the dude is, you know, he's 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 a star. I mean, not the the way yeah. he fights, the way he carries himself. You know, I don't know if it's the accent on top of it that just makes us tune in a little bit more. But um, I mean, it seems to me like you know he's getting a lot of the the focus this week on the ground. Am I reading that right? And what do you think about this matchup with Brunson? Yeah, he is. But I mean, it, it's like you said. I mean, he talks the talk. He walks the walk. He has a personality to boot. You know, I mean, he. Uh, you know, he's got a great social media presence. He's getting out there. You know, he's got that podcast going on. He's doing all the right things to to put himself out there. And uh, boy, when they met, when they face off, man, uh, he's got a decent size reach yep. on uh, Brunson, man. Like, man, I know, I know that both have to weigh the same when he gets in there, you know, tomorrow. But man, there there is a size difference there, and I just think the speed of Adesanya is going to be the biggest thing for Brunson yeah. to. I mean, Brunson has knockout power, but you got to be able to connect to get it. And, uh, you know, the way that Izzy just kind of comes at weird, awkward angles and throws things and kind of improvises as he goes, you know, uh, I think it's just it's just going to be leaving Derek, you know, until he picks up on sort of the pattern or maybe, you know, just catches the timing right. He's going to have a hard time getting that power, you know, um, on top of him. So I can see him trying to resort to getting the ground, you know, getting Izzy down to the ground. But, you know, people don't aren't able to really keep him on the ground either. So, right. you know, Izzy is just really has just he is uh, on an upward trajectory right now that uh, this is a great fight for him. That if he can make a nice case uh, of, you know, just really showcasing out there. This is definitely one of those fights that you know you gotta you gotta just put him. You know you got he's got to easily be you know in the top five pecking at the at the at the title shot in the next you know couple fights yeah. for sure if he if he has a good good showing here. But no, I mean it certainly doesn't hurt to have the accent as well. I mean like. <laughs> We see people with accents get away with a lot of stuff, you know, these yeah, days. Yeah, so. what are you hitting at there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Too funny, man. Yeah, it's a big fight, man. I mean, listen, Derek Brunson's no pushover. This is not a gimme for Adesanya by any stretch of the imagination. But if he wins here and wins impressively, you know, on the main card, on pay-per-view, at Madison Square Garden, you know, I know this isn't, you know, UFC 229 in terms of attention or whatever, but this is a big platform, and, Man, yeah, Adesanya is 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 a star. Listen, the the prelims. Uh, we talked about Jason Knight. I'm I'm in. If Jason Knight's fighting, just know that I'm in. That's that's all that matters, man. I that yeah. dude comes to scrap. And I know, uh, you know, he, he mentioned the fact that he went out to Team Alpha Male, which I think is good. You know, getting getting elite level training like that is sharp. You know, the coaching, the training partners, all that. And it sounds like he feels like he benefited from it a lot. Uh, so anxious to see if any improvements were made there. But, yeah, Jason, Jason Knight is, is can't-miss TV. There's no doubt about that. Then you've got Sajara Eubanks versus Roxanne Modafferi. Uh, listen, I, I thought Sajara was saying the right things when you guys sat down and talked to her. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I know that she's not necessarily the most popular on the roster, and I think some people were even – I don't know, almost pissed off at her at, at, at when she started lacing into, you know, uh, McMaynard and, and Dana and all that. I mean, I, I did think at the time when she was going off, you know, scorched earth on Twitter that it was a pretty risky strategy considering, you know, how new she is in her career. But, um, man, I, I, th- I thought she was saying the right things. And, uh, man, you know, y- you can't ever cheer against Roxanne Modafferi. I mean, she's just the – the sweetest person in the world. Of course, she's yeah. uh, lives here in Vegas as well. But um, I don't know, man. I, I, th- this is a big fight, and I, I feel like Sajara, 
you know, really wants to make a statement to, to say, yeah, I may not have gotten the title fight, but I deserve next. That's true. And, and I agree with that. I mean, let's be real. Roxanne was able to, you know, fight for the title, unfortunately, for Cigar when she couldn't make it. But yeah, I mean, like, this is this is a repeat fight for people that didn't know that they fought before. I mean, so it'll be interesting to see how things have changed. You know, I think we can ex- we know what we're going to expect from Sajar. She's going to be pushing hard, pressing. She's going to come trying to drop some hands. But she also has some really good jujitsu. But Roxanne has great jujitsu yeah. as well. Yeah. So, you know, that could be an interesting fight should the fight go down to the ground. But Roxanne's been really working on her striking. I think the, wood, the, uh, the work that John Wood's been doing with her, the past couple of years, her striking has came uh, leaps and bounds from where it was. I'm not sure what page that he turned for her because she literally is coming out of a different playbook now. I mean, she just looks like a different Roxanne, um, but she's also, I mean, she's the happy warrior for Christ's sake. I mean, it's <laughs> she's always smiling. You, you can't help but pull for her. But going to what Sajara was saying, I mean, I'm, I'm with it. I mean, she – was promised a lot of things and she was done wrong, you know, and I thought a person that had a good quote about just this business was David Branch when he was talking about, uh, you know, feelings and how this is the hurt business. They're in the business of hurting people, but this is also the business where your feelings get hurt Yeah, and it happens, you know, like people are, you're going to have stuff taken away from you and you can, uh, you know, either just take it and just not say anything or you could take it and at least say something about it, you know, and at least go out there and feel that you're, you know, at least saying your piece so that, you know, you're either going to be the, the the squeaky wheel that gets lubed and you get to fight, or you're going to be like, all right, you know, you're an annoyance, go away. <laughs> <laughs> but that usually only tends to happen for fighters that are, are bitching about uh, unions and stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You know, like it seems you it seems you can bitch about matchmaking. Just don't bitch about unions uh, and, and that kind of stuff. But so uh, no, I think it's I think it's going to be a good fight, man. I'm I'm interested to see the differences that maybe will show up in these two, and I'm interested to see you know about the striking. Roxanne says she's got some new new tricks in her bag for striking wise and stuff that she's been working on. So uh, you know, I'd be interested to see how much of this she tries to keep the fight standing as opposed to going to the ground. Um, could be interesting. Yeah, no doubt. The fight past prelims, uh, there's some good ones there. Some guys that, that you like, Shane Burgos versus Kurt Holobot should be a good fight. Montel Jackson against Brian Kelleher. Always a big fan of Brian yeah. Kelleher. He's a good dude. But, yeah. but Matt Frivola versus Lando Venata is the one I wanted to ask you about. I mean, Matt Frivola uh, definitely has some momentum coming behind him, but I know you guys got a chance to talk to Lando Venata. You know, he was the... He was the flavor of the month for a little bit, you know. Lando, everybody was was yeah. was digging Lando, and he is a fun fighter, man. He, he's he's fun to watch. Um, but look, he's he's in need of a victory here, and it sounds like, um, yeah. you know, he he kind of accepted that when you guys were talking to him. He said, "Listen, he made he made some changes. He's one of these guys that left uh, the Jackson Wink camp and said he wasn't happy there, and and uh, you know, some changes need to be made. But um, it sounds like he kind of recognized the seriousness of what's at hand." Yeah, and but one thing he, he did look, even though I mean, yeah, this is the guy coming in with what three three losses out of his last UFC fights, yeah. and uh, but he looked happy. So I think whatever change he made, switching uh, to the old Jackson building or whatever, and the new camp, he seems happy. He seems like he's got uh, a weight off his shoulder. So I'm not sure if what was going on in the environment before he left is partially what sort of poisoned the water for him and maybe why he didn't perform as well, but he seems happy. 
I mean, he seems in good spirits, man. And, uh, you know, he's got all the talent in the world. And I think now coming in rejuvenated because he did look rejuvenated and uh, sort of refocused, uh, he looks dangerous. I mean, he's, I, I look to him to get, probably get back to his winning ways with this one. I mean, you know, he, uh, he I think the whatever maybe mental side of things that maybe were affecting his performances before, I think he's maybe eradicated that. So I'm, I'm looking him to, to come out there and, and put on a good performance. So it should be good, man. That should be a good one, though. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun card. All right, man. Well, what's the food situation been like for you up there, man? Now that you're a New York regular, have you have you scoped out some pizza spots? or have you... well, it's, it's funny because I'm, like I'm literally staying across the street from the last hotel we stayed at when I stayed here. So I actually ate at that barbecue joint again. But I have uh, – we did find a, a different little Thai place. So I've been in like the Asian food mode. So whether it be Japanese or, uh, you know, Chinese or whatever. But tonight we went Thai. We were trying to go to this uh, Japanese ramen place, but it was like an hour wait. So I was like, you know, I wasn't going to have that. So <laughs> so we found a, another place that was just down the street. And it was actually really, really good. And we were joined by an uh, old uh, Chapman Kandu uh, or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that right, Chapman that's, Candu? That's, that's, that right? that's the Tony Ferguson label for him. Yeah. Chapman Candu. Yeah, so Chapman Candu came out with us, and he was he was busting my balls because I kept bringing it up. He's like, "Are you done yet?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Just one more, just one more word, just one more." Uh, so we, uh, but it was good. But no, I have eaten. Uh, we didn't. Uh, I did have a decent pizza place the other day, and it was good because it was a. Uh, it was like very uh, authentic Italian like pizza. It wasn't like your typical huge slice in New York. You wanted to fold it over. This was almost, almost to the point where you needed like a fork and knife to it. Like you have to do sometimes when you have that real authentic, like Italian pizza, like you would get in Italy or something, yeah. but it was really, really good. But yeah, man, we've had uh, some good stuff, but you know, um, I even hit like a, a deli place up, man. Some of these days, man, these have been long days. I think yesterday was like a 17 hour day for me. Jeez. Uh, so like it, uh, you just take what you can get almost at that point. So, um, I did get some snacks to kind of keep me going in the room. I got a couple more edits before this is this is uh, put together. Maybe at least one more edit. Uh, doing a little preview show with uh, Mike Bond. We were supposed to get um, uh, Paul Felder in on that one, but communications were missed and whatnot, and so that fell through. So you're only you guys are only going to get the young Mike Bond in that. So I got to knock that one out, and then I'll, I'll be putting this podcast together, and then I'll be crashing because bright and early tomorrow or sometime before you guys listen to this probably for most of you um yeah we got the early way in so yeah i'm just gonna get this knocked out and um you know eat some of these chips if i get snacky a little bit later on because i'm not going back out in the city tonight so <laughs> i'm gonna beat it it just saps you man there's just so much even at this time of the night there's still a lot of people in times square it's crazy it's a grind, it's man. It's a grind. All right, brother. Well, I know that you've got work to do, so we won't keep you very long. So we'll let you get back to that. And for everybody else, we'll just tell them, thanks for listening.